This is awesome. Okay, here we go. Um, thank Oh my, look at that. Oh, there's them building it. Hello, lovely listeners. This is Heather Drew, and this is the Life in the Whirlwind podcast, episode number two. Today, I am on site, actually, for something exciting and different. You know, episode two, it's different than episode one. Uh, We are on location at the Cloisters at Fort Tryon in... Washington Heights, New York, and this is the famous spot where Thomas Merton, who is arguably one of the most famous, if not the most well-known contemplatives, mystics of the 20th century, and uh, this is a spot where he came, and I think this is this is where he, I mean, this is where he found God, essentially. And it's very exciting to be here. Lots of amazing history and really beautiful location. And uh, I say we because I have a studio audience of one today. (laughs) My husband, Alan, is here with me. And may join the conversation. (laughs) So an interesting fact about this place, the Cloisters, is... uh, So Thomas Merton came to New York to become a writer and he um, was studying writing here in New York and found himself coming to the cloisters a lot and it part of it is because he found a lot of um, inspiration from the French here and that was his homeland so he came here a lot and um, he was having very little success as a writer but came here and found God and essentially his life changed he decided to become a Trappist monk and in becoming a Trappist monk became a writer (laughs) so that's not the mystery at work I don't know what is by the way you'll hear lots of sounds because we're outside on the west terrace at the cloisters so please excuse the uh, raw background noise but uh, it's, it's good good raw noise so today, today's episode, I want to talk about Thomas Merton and the question of mystery versus mastery. A woman named Sandra Schneiders defines spirituality as this. Um, this is not word for word, but essentially what she says is it's the capacity of self-transcendence uh, through love of others as a reflection of God and its conscious involvement in the project of life integration. So, 
capacity of self-transcendence through love of others as a reflection of God and conscious involvement in the project of life integration. This becoming spiritual is a little bit of our topic, right? We, we talk about life in the whirlwind and um, spirituality is a really big part of that. It is life integration. It's this project of finding the capacity for self-transcendence, but also conscious involvement in the middle of busyness and in the middle of whirlwind-ish activity. So um, I was reading an article in preparation for this visit to sort of see this lovely life that um, Thomas Merton found in the whirlwind of New York City. I read an article by a guy named Alan Culp. He's he's a Quaker, and he's a professor of spiritual studies at uh, various universities he's been at. And he says, becoming spiritual does not mean unbecoming human. And the article that I read was about Thomas Merton and how emulating him and his spiritual practices, which are very... um, grounded and and pretty well known at this point in time they all come out of this person who's very human and a great book if you've never read it a really good friend of mine recommended this to me a while ago and I read it and discovered Thomas Merton this way but it's called The Seven Story Mountain and it's a biography autobiography written by Thomas Merton Uh, about his sort of his life but his childhood and growing up years his maturing process development process but also a lot of his spiritual journey as well so um, this man Alan Culp this professor of spiritual studies recommends that in in approaching spiritual practices remembering that it is not becoming uh, it's not unbecoming human it's not this sort of transcending of human, whatever that means, but it's more actually being truly human, which is something I hope we can explore a little bit in this episode. So here's a, here's a story that I heard a couple of years ago that I really found very intriguing. There's, it's the story of Akiva, the rabbi, and, um, I'm going to tell it my way. So forgive the little hiccups here and there if you know the story essentially this is a story of a a rabbi who is on the road walking home and he it's dark and he takes a wrong turn and he ends up in uh basically occupation like a, a soldier occupation area and uh there's a watch guard and he says he yells out he sees this rabbi walking and he says he yells out who are you and why are you here and Akiva hears the question, and instead of panicking or worrying if he's in the wrong place, he knows he's in the wrong place, he just says to the guard, how much do they pay you? And he says, what? I, what? And he says, how much do they pay you here for this job? And he, you know, I forget what he answers, some numerical value of money. I can't, this is why I don't tell stories like this. I can never remember the right, the right monetary form. 
but he told he tells Akiva, and then Akiva says, "I will pay you double if you come to my house and ask me those two questions every day." So, these two questions: Who are you, and why are you here? These are the questions of spirituality that involve us in this project of uh, life and spirit integration, and. They are pretty important questions for us to be asking, I guess. Hopefully you're here because you are asking those questions or you're interested in those questions as well. Uh, Thomas Merton was very much involved in these questions. He asked these questions and questions like it a lot. He had a depth to him. He had a very serious engagement with conscious involvement in this project of life. And... um, One of the things that he says in a book that he wrote called The Monastic Journey is, he says, I have been summoned to explore a desert area of man's heart in which explanations no longer suffice and in which one learns that only experience counts. So he's exploring these two different things here of explanations and experience. And... The title of this podcast is Mystery Versus Mastery and this question that life presents us. Um, I think that we have a an inclination toward mastery in a lot of ways and we look for explanations for things and we there are ways in which that really aids us in, in our lives and um, think of science, medicine environmental care, all those things, having explanations is really helpful. And there's this only experience counts. So we're going to dive into that today. So two of the questions, these are two questions that Merton, I don't remember where I read this. My friend Chuck asks his students this a lot. He is a professor of a, of spiritual studies as well uh he asked his students this question but merton said this he would ask he would ask his uh spiritual direction ease this question regularly the first question is how goes it with me on this pilgrimage of my surrender and then the second question that he asks is how goes it with you on this pilgrimage of your surrender and so the first question is him asking himself, how is this surrender, this pilgrimage of surrender with me, and how is it for you? And an in- invitation that he offers here in these two questions is not only he's diving into his own process of surrender and his own project of self-surrender, but he's also saying, where are you in this life moment, in this life project, and show me where you are. And he, he does, he, he talks a lot about um, responding to reality that we find ourselves in and finding a depth and a value in the ordinary or whatever we call the ordinary, that that's the real stuff of life, that that's the reality of life. And he, Merton also talks a lot about letting those ordinary things and letting those uh, reality 
moments, responding to those in certain ways, letting that transform your interior life. So it's taking this, uh, like we kind of talked about in the first episode of this podcast, taking your attention and focusing it on um, ordinary things or different things and letting it transform your interior life. And another thing that he talked a lot about was is sharing the depth and the beauty that you see so that we can enable each other to see these things also. Do you see why I love this guy? He's great. Thomas Merton. If you've never read him, you got to check him out. So Merton presents these four arenas in which to find and practice authentic identity. I won't go into detail here, but I just want to throw them out there so you can be thinking about them because I don't even really know what they mean myself. It is, I think what he, he presents these as things, uh, sort of four areas to focus on as we look at this pilgrimage of surrender of this life project of spiritual practice. But, um, these four arenas of authentic identity are freedom, responsibility, dialogue, and love. And he talks about all these as practices. So practice of freedom, the practice of responsibility, the practice of dialogue, and the practice of love. So how do you find yourself negotiating these things, these arenas? How do you find yourself practicing freedom? How do you find yourself practicing responsibility whatever that means. There's so many ways that could go, right? How do you find yourself practicing dialogue? It's so much easier to practice debate over dialogue, right? Isn't it? Um, Speaking of mystery versus mastery, perhaps uh, dialogue is mystery embracing and debate is more mastery embracing. And then the fourth area, how do you find yourself negotiating the practice of love? And if you answer these questions, you can also ask yourself the question of how do I want to negotiate these arenas? Or maybe you can ask Merton's question of yourself. How goes it for me? How goes this pilgrimage of practicing these four arenas of authentic identity? Compelling, no? very good stuff. So this famous book, I'm going to give you an image to, to, uh, think on today in seven story mountain, Thomas Merton presents this picture of the soul of man being like a lucid crystal. So a lucid crystal, I don't know if you've ever seen one of these, but it's completely clear. It's the purest of the pure clear crystals. He talks about this being the soul, like the soul of man. And if this crystal is left in the darkness, it lacks the thing that can be found outside or beyond itself, which is light. And when light shines on this crystal, it's transformed into light itself almost. It moves beyond its own nature, which is a crystal, and it takes on this higher nature or this higher purpose because when the light hits it, it just explodes with light. Um, 
it's almost as if both the light and the crystal take on the greatest form of splendor when they are together. So that's a, that's a powerful image. So some people ask me, I talk a lot about this sort of self-understanding and the gift of knowing yourself. That's a great book, by the way, David Brenner, great book. Um, the gift of, of being yourself. What is, you know, a lot of people ask me, isn't this kind of like selfish? Is this navel gazing? Is this, you know, narcissistic? I get that. I get those arguments. I get those questions. I understand them. And I understand that there's, they're definitely hard and important, challenging questions to ask yourself in the self-discovery process. And if the soul of man is like this lucid crystal, what will happen if it is left in the darkness? It will never find this more brilliant way of being. It will never um, be lit up with the light that is found only outside of itself. The crystal by itself is beautiful. With light, it becomes the most splendid, glorious version of itself. So, what does this have to do with mystery versus mastery? Why am I talking about crystals <laughs> on a podcast about mystery versus mastery? So, first let's ask this question. Why might sometimes we prefer mastery? Alan and I, when we were driving here, um, we were talking about why this might be, why we prefer mastery sometimes. And a couple of the things that we talked about were that we really enjoy control. We like to have categories for things. We like the feeling that comes with understanding things. We enjoy not feeling like we're in the dark. Or that there are things beyond us that we have no control over or power over. So maybe you can think of your own reasons. Actually, I would encourage you to do that. Think about what tempts you to mastery. What is it about you, your personality, your background, your mind, your heart, whatever it is? What is it about you that prefers mastery? And just ponder that maybe or talk to a friend about it or write me an email about it, <laughs> or whatever you find yourself doing. But ask yourself that question, what, what tempts you to mastery? And I think there is healthy, there's room for healthy mastery. There's room for, like, practicing the, these practices that we've done, like, the four arenas that I just mentioned of Merton's four arenas of practicing authentic identity. How do you practice these? It's their practices. They're, they involve some kind of mastery. It's not just a passivity. It's not just a waiting. It's an engagement. It's a showing up to these things. So how do you, how do you practice them? And how might, that might be mastery. That might be a form of mastery. So what might we have mastery over? Spiritual practices. Um, spiritual practices can be so different. This could probably be its own episode all by itself. What are spiritual practices? There are books about this, um, that are out there. So, uh, if you've read a great one that you like, please share it in the comment section. 
on our website or uh, under this episode or uh, send me an email or whatever. But I'd be really interested to hear some spiritual practices that you all that you all practice and find yourself working toward mastery over. Um, but what it, what these do is they bring us. Remember, we are like lucid crystals, right? They bring us lucid crystals out of the darkness. That's what these practices that we have mastery over are for. So where does the mystery come in? The mystery comes in where we are transformed. And we bring ourselves out of the darkness as crystals... But it's not the bringing out that changes us. It's the light hitting that changes us, that transforms us, makes us splendid. And so Alan, Alan, I'm going to ask, I'm going to invite him in this conversation. So an analogy that we thought of in the car is sailing. So Alan is a sailor, <laughs> not like professionally. <laughs> he grew up sailing. I did not. Grub sailing. I'm slightly afraid uh, of drowning. But that tells you probably a lot about my personality. It's very revealing. But I want to talk about this for a second. So what would you say, Alan, what would you say is the mastery of sailing? Like, what's involved in the mastery of sailing? Um, yeah, so in learning how to sail, you actually have to learn something. Um, you have to learn how the wind works, how to kind of feel where it's coming from, um, how to raise sails, haul them in, um, how to steer the boat, uh, how to sense where the wind is and learn how to ride it well. I mean, there's tons of, there's tons of skills involved, uh, that you need to learn to master in order to be able to sail a boat and make it go well. So like, um, if you've got great wind and a great boat, but you don't know how to sail, you're just going to be flopping around in circles, despite the fact that there's all this wind. You're not going to actually go anywhere, or you're going to be blown in a direction that you don't want to go. And um, So anyway, uh, yeah, there is, a, there is a lot of mastery um, of uh, certain skills or disciplines of sailing that you need to figure out in order to actually harness the wind when it's there. Right. Yeah, so it's it's interesting because if you get so if you get Alan and me on a boat, on a sailboat, I'm the one sitting maybe holding the tiller is the most responsibility I take. But Alan is working hard. He's he's moving things around, he's pulling lines, he's setting sails, etc. I don't even know if these are the right <laughs> terms, but essentially they're correct. But there's all this mastery that I'm watching happen, and maybe this is a great metaphor. It's like, are you a person who knows how to sail, or are you a person who's just sitting there helpless, holding the tiller, watching the wind do stuff that you can't have any part of? So that's where the mystery comes in. The wind is the mystery. The wind, the weather is the mystery. You have no control over what happens with the weather. 
you can watch it. You can be afraid of it. You can try to hide from it. Like, you can go down into the into the sleeping quarters of the boat and close the door and pretend like there's no weather. But it's there. This is the mystery in this analogy of sailing. But like Alan said, if there's this ability to harness the weather and use it to guide you in the direction that you're trying to go it's not it's not the boat or you or your knowledge that's moving this boat in this direction it's the wind so this is the mastery versus the mystery there's mastery involved in knowing these practices, knowing what's going to impact your direction and knowing what you can do and what you can't do and being really aware of that. And then the mystery is the thing that transforms. It's the thing that does the lighting up. It's the thing that uh, makes, makes us splendid. So this is what cloister life is. This is what, this is what impact, I think this is what Thomas Merton found here at the cloisters is that it woke him up in ways that he hadn't known before that he'd always been kind of looking for this was his sailing school and um, he talks a lot in in Seven Story Mountain and his other writings about the essential qualities of this life, this cloister life, this contemplative life or this spiritual pilgrimage Um, awakening, if you want to call it that, is openness and availability and to be alert. And in all of that, the openness and availability and alertness, you become alive. This crystal becomes alive in ways that it's never known before. And that's what we're invited into. That's a real invitation. We do have the choice to enter into that or not and you shouldn't feel guilty if you don't if you feel not ready you are where you are I am not here to make you feel guilty and nobody else is I hope um but the the reality is that um the great reality is that you don't have to live in a cloister you don't have to go to a monastery to do this to live this kind of contemplative life to live this cloister life are you open are you available and are you alert? And if if it's if you're not where you are, where you want to be, how do you maybe open yourself a little bit more, or make yourself a little bit more available, or live in a slightly more alert, attentive state to what's going on around you, the realities you find yourself in, and finding value and beauty in these ordinary things, and letting those things transform your interior life so that this light, this crystal comes out of darkness and this light lights you up to be fully alive. What could that be like? So as in typical fashion, I will invite you to do this this week. This is my invitation to you this week. Ask these questions of um, the guard that the guard asks Akiva ask these questions enter into this process maybe it's for 30 days i know we're coming up on a new year and it's kind of 
you know, we're all about New Year's resolutions, but this is not about resolution. This is about release or revitalization or whatever you, what other R word you, you want to use. It's about openness. It's about availability. It's about alertness. But he has, here are these two questions. Maybe for the next 30 days, you write this down or you put it on a post-it note on your bathroom mirror and you ask yourself this question, every, these two questions every morning. Who are you and why are you here? And are you living out that cloister life the way you want to be living it out? My blessing to you this week is straight from the pen of Thomas Merton. There's only one problem on which all my existence, my peace, and my happiness depend. To discover myself in discovering God. If I find him, I will find myself. And if I find my true self, I will find him. So may you discover open up to and make yourself available to the light that is not there to expose you for shame and guilt, but to expose you to a more full and expansive life. Thank you for joining me in this. Thank you for showing up and I will see you next week. Take good care.